How is everybody? How is everybody? All right, there you go. Good, good. A lot worse places you could be than in church on like a beautiful sunny day. And you know, I mean, you know. So, uh, anyways, uh, glad you guys are here. Um, in your before I forget, in your little uh, handouts that you got, you should have got this little nifty gifty. Um, it's not really a gift; it's just a reminder that if you're a man in here, uh, we have a men's summit coming up on the eighth. It's Friday, isn't it? Uh, I'm supposed to speak at that. Uh, just to confess, I haven't really worked on that yet, so I'm going to do that soon. And um, but it's going to be great. So. <laughs> But uh, this is happening. You can sign up online. I think there's a link on there. It's uh, experiencecc.com slash upside down if you want to sign up for that uh, or just show up. And um, yeah, it's going to be great. We had about 350 men at the last men's summit. And so we hope to, to, to be in that ballpark again, at least for this one. So, okay. Oh, and a fun story, because we have lots of time at the 11, right? You guys, not, you guys got nothing to do after this. So we can just hang out all day. So, uh, <laughs> um, last Saturday night, there's water bottles on both sides of the stage, and, and so you get up there and you just grab one if you want to water, you know, as you're walking on, and um, there was a wedding, and someone had taken a bunch of the water bottles and wrapped them with, like, gold lace stuff, you know, and so we had some left over, and they just stuck them in these baskets, and so I grabbed one of those last week, and I guess, I guess sometimes I touch my beard when I speak or something, and so I was drinking from this, like, glittery bottle of water. And at the end of the seven, my whole face was just like covered in gold glitter. And I had all these people come up to me afterwards, just like, man, your face. And I'm like, it's not anything miraculous. It's just I had gold glitter all over my beard. So uh, yeah, don't get too excited. So um, I'm sure that was really fun. But uh, all right. So we're, we're in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible with you, the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then right after those is the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be starting and we're going to be in it for quite some time, okay? This is going to be a journey. It's going to be fun. This is a great book of the Bible. You should have a notes handout in front of you. Um, also, if you have a smartphone, if you have the Bible app, the Uversion app, if you click on the bottom right button, more, and then events, um, the translation I use, all the notes, everything pops up. Very, very convenient. Let me tell you a couple of things about this book of the Bible. Not an exhaustive kind of overview of it, but just a little bit before we jump in to chapter one. Uh, the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke who was a doctor, he was a physician, he was a good friend of the Apostle Paul. He was not one of the original 12 disciples. Sometimes people get confused with that, not one of the original 12. And he wrote this book in the 60s, uh, not the 1960s, the 60s, right? <laughs> he wrote this book in the 60s, about 30 years after Jesus died. Now we know Luke wrote the book of Acts, he also wrote the book of Luke, right? So the narrative of the book of Acts picks up shortly after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So though it was written about 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, it picks up right after the crucifixion, right? Right after his resurrection. And one of the big emphasis of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And there's some crazy things that the Holy Spirit does through individuals in the book of Acts. And uh, we're gonna to get to talk about those things. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, let me go back. The book of Acts also focuses heavily on the formation of the church. So you have the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then from that, Jesus ascends to heaven, and that's when the church gets launched, if you will. And that is the book of Acts. So we're going to see a lot about the beginning stages of the church. We're going to read a lot about a guy named Paul, who was once a guy named Saul and persecuted the church, but became one of the, the main contributors to the Bible. We're going to read a lot about him and how the gospel, the message of Jesus 
was taken out of this little small piece of land called Israel. I don't know if you guys knew this. Jesus spent all of his time in Israel preparing people to go outside of Israel and take his message to the entire world. That's what Acts is. Acts also tells of the oppression that the church struggled with, the, the early church, the theological, the political, and even the physical opposition against the church. We're going to see how Christians were marginalized, how they were thrown in jail. We're even going to see how some Christians were killed for their faith. In fact, the first person ever killed for Jesus' name is in Acts chapter 7, a young man named Stephen. Now, if you don't absorb any of that, this is probably the most important thing to know, just kind of is the, is the overview of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the implementation of the gospel of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus telling us what to do. The book of Acts is people doing it. That's essentially what this is. And that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles, right? The things that they did after they were taught by Jesus. This is what they went out and did. Again, I think you guys are going to love it. Um, it starts off strong, not just chapter one, but it just, it just starts off with a bang and it doesn't really simmer down much throughout the whole thing. It's a really, really great book of the Bible. I think you guys are going to dig it. Okay, we'll be in it for a while. So, all right, let me pray. We will jump into this and um, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I just want to tell you, thank you, God, for everything you've done for, for me personally, for everything you've done with the people in this church, God, and, and the great community that we live in. Father, we pray, Lord, that you just open up our eyes today, open up our ears, help us to, to understand to the best of our abilities and help us, Lord, to absorb these things and apply them to our lives. God, uh, we pray for every church in our community this morning. We pray for all the great nonprofits in our community. We pray for anyone that may have come into this place who's not a believer or they struggle with their faith, God. We pray, Lord, that something today just uh, kind of gets their attention and helps them to start this journey towards you. Lord, we love you, God. Just be with us today and, um, and help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, starting again. Fifth book of the New Testament, starting in chapter one. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll do my best to break it down. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered... He also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." So if you read just the first three verses of chapter one of Acts, you already get the thesis essentially for the entire book of Acts. And this is what it is. The command from God for us to be witnesses, the role of the apostles, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and how Jesus ascending into heaven was kind of the launching pad for Christianity. So Luke, when he talks about Jesus at the beginning, before he talks about the fact that Jesus was resurrected, he reminds us that Jesus was the servant of humanity, that he came down, that he suffered for us. The Bible says he came to serve, not to be served, that he came down and set the example for us, and Luke doesn't want us to forget that, okay? Very important. Jesus also came back after he was crucified, he rose from the dead, came back, and he hung out with his followers for 40 days. 
Now, during that 40 days, we don't know exactly what he said to the disciples, but we have a pretty good idea. This is what he talked about to them. He convinced them that he was alive, which I know you guys are like, well, they knew Jesus, but if your best friend and, and leader and the one you thought you know, was the Savior died, was in the grave for three days, and then showed up again, you'd probably need some convincing too, right? So he convinced them he was alive, he comforted them, and he let them know that they have a future. Guys, it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be with you, right? We're gonna go out and we're gonna change the world. You're gonna do it, but I'm gonna be with you during this time. And he commissioned them to go out and to start to spread the good news, the gospel, the words, the teachings of Jesus. That's what he talked about during these 40 days. He was preparing them. He also gave them immediate instruction. 10 days, well, I don't wanna be a spoiler alert, but, but right before uh, uh, he ascended into heaven, he looked at his followers and he said, hey, wait in Jerusalem, wait in the upper room, hang out in this area, and the Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit. This is a promise. Now, in Christianity, we talk about the Holy Spirit, probably not as much as we should, but we talk about the Holy Spirit. And in Christianity, a lot of people have different ideas and views about what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, right? Different denomin denominations think it's via speaking in tongues, or some people believe it's via baptism, or it's just right when you believe, or all these different ideas. And we will see in the book of Acts that there are many ways that people responded when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we will cover all those in the coming months, okay? We also see the message of Acts coming into focus, and this is part of it, that Jesus died for us, and through his resurrection, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, before we can, we can act out what God wants us to be, we must prepare, we must pray, we must wait for his guidance and wait for his power, and then we can be filled with him, and we can go out and do great things. So here's essentially how we begin. Here's how we launch into Acts. The only way we can fulfill, fulfill the commands of Christ, the only way we can love people like Christ, the only way we can do what Jesus wants us to do is we must be filled with the Spirit of Christ. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what enables us to go out and positively affect the world around us, okay? So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven, okay? So the disciples needed some refocusing. I'm gonna, we're we're going to go down a path here for a second. Just excuse me for a second. In, in Jesus' time, during the time of the disciples, the Romans had been over the Jews for, for nearly a century, and they had oppressed the Jewish people, they had lorded over the Jewish people, and the Jewish people did not have any love for the Roman Empire. So one of the first questions that the disciples asked Jesus after the resurrection is, hey, you gonna take care of those Romans, right? You gonna give us our government back, or are you gonna set straight this corrupt institution over us? 
And Jesus's response was basically this, none of your business. That was essentially his response. It's not for you to know when I'm gonna deal with the Romans. It's not for you to know when I'm gonna deal with corrupt leadership. It's none of your business. God will do what God wants to do. Now we laugh at that, but we still kind of have the same problem today, don't we? Oh, here Corey goes, right? Here we go. We often say that we trust God, but when the government isn't exactly the way we like it or things are not going the way we want or we don't have control, we start to think that God was asleep during election year or something, right? God, what are you doing up there, right? We got all this crazy stuff going on, not just in the United States, but all around the world. Let me blow your mind for a second. Every single person on planet earth that is in any kind of authority right now is only there because God allowed them to be there. Romans 13. Now here's the thing. God even allows crazy people sometimes to be in power because sometimes he uses them to teach us a lesson. The whole book of Daniel is about that essentially. That sometimes he lets people be in power that, that don't know how to wield power, but he does that to humble us at times. But sometimes we're too stupid to listen. Quite frankly, I'm too stupid to listen sometimes. Here's the thing, guys, as Christians, if you're a believer in here, we need to know that one day God is going to come back and he's gonna set everything back in proper order. But until then, we're not gonna know the exact time. Jesus even said, I don't know, right? It's up to the Father. We just need to learn to trust God a little bit more. We need to know that God is still sovereign, regardless of who's in the White House or who's in North Korea or whatever the case may be, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne, okay? I had someone walk out at the nine o'clock when I said that. Anyways, the problem with us being overtly concerned about world governments and world systems is God didn't call world systems to be the catalyst for change. He called you to do it. <laughs> he called Christians to do it. And so we're so focused. And I'm, guys, I'm not telling you to be anti-politics or anti-government. There are certain responsibilities of the government and social institutions and nonprofits. And those things, they, they have their role. But ultimately, God commissioned Christians, his followers, to go out and be the light of the world. He didn't say it to any other institutions. He said it to us. We are to be the catalyst. We are to be the mechanism for positive change in the world. So if we look around and say the world has fallen, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, it's our fault. We haven't raised our children right. One of my big axes that I grind, hold on. <laughs> one, of my, one of my big axes that I grind is when all these people are like, we need to get prayer back in school. I'm like, you need to get prayer back in your home. Teachers, listen, teachers don't get paid to pray for your students. They get paid to teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. You are the one who is responsible for teaching your kids theology and building a relationship with God with them. That's your job, not the school system's job. So we need to quit passing the blame to other people and we need to look at ourselves and say, we gotta get on the ball. We gotta start doing things a little bit more. The Holy Spirit is not designated just for the rich and affluential and the educated. The Holy Spirit is given to every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. So if you call yourself a Christian, the same Holy Spirit that is in whoever is also in you. And we are called and we are responsible to be witnesses of Jesus to wherever we are and wherever we go. That's it, I'll get off that, right? So he, one day I'm gonna get like Mitch to build like a actual like soapbox for me to like stand on. That would be fun, wouldn't it? I have like Tide on it or something and I'll stand on it and you just know it's coming at that point. You can tune in or get on Facebook or do something else. I'll rant for a little bit. I get off and you're like, okay, we're back to the Bible. So, all right. 
So, so as, they're, as they're talking to Jesus, right, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that's called the Great Commission. Every Christian should have a general idea of what the Great Commission is. Matthew 18, uh, 28, 19, and 20, right? As they're talking to Jesus, Jesus is enveloped in a cloud and he goes up to heaven. Now, before we get all kooky with that and explore that too much, I think we just have to take it for what it says. All throughout the Old Testament, Moses... David, Isaiah, Daniel, all talked about clouds that would be present when God was present, right? There was like this dense cloud. Moses talks about it quite a bit. So this dense cloud takes Jesus up to heaven, and as they were sitting there watching, two angels show up, and they tell the disciples that Jesus is going to come back in a similar way that he left. So you have to give the, 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 the disciples a little bit of credit. It's interesting. The angels are sitting there and they're just like, hey, what are you guys looking at? You know what I mean? Well, you just saw Jesus float up into the sky into heaven. That's why they were gazing up at the sky. And the angels show up and go, you know, okay, guys, you've seen this. You knew this was going to happen. And they said, when he returns, it's going to be just like that. It's not going to be something different. It's going to be a literal, physical, resurrected Jesus Christ. And he ascended up into heaven. And the reason he did that is he was about to send his Holy Spirit. Now, why did it have to be that way? I don't have all the answers for that, but I know that God has a good plan. And sometimes in the Bible, we just have to fall back and say, that's the way God wanted to do it. Also though, with Jesus ascended into heaven, it forces us to focus on God. It, focus, it, it, it forces us to focus on our faith that if Jesus was here in the flesh and blood, it wouldn't take us any faith to believe in him. But now that we can't see him, we have to depend on, depend on faith. We have to be devoted to God. And in the meantime, until he comes back, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God to where we can't see Jesus right now, but we can feel him and he guides us and empowers us and encourages us and counsels us until he comes back in literal form, okay? Here's where we get into some neat stuff. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Here's a list of some of the men. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not the Judas that died, obviously, another Judas. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. That means his literal brothers, Mary's other sons, okay? So the disciples returned. They were renting this room. This is the same room where the Last Supper took place, okay? The upper room is what they call it. They return from seeing Jesus ascend into heaven, and they went back to the upper room. Now, this is not me trying to be mean. This is us just, just trying to keep each other in check. A lot of people um, highly revere these places where Jesus was, and I get it. I would love to go to the upper room in Jerusalem and see where the Holy Spirit came and where Jesus had his last meal. I'd love to be in that room, right? That's amazing. But sometimes in Christianity, what we tend to do is we almost get a little mystical and a little weird about places like this, right? If I can just, you know, rub my hands on the floor that Jesus ate, it would heal me, or if I could just, you know, touch this wall, or if I could just walk down this path or do something like that. We think that there's something mystical about those things, and that gets a little kooky, and it gets a little weird, right? And our modern day, more so than just people or places, though, 
What we do is we create idols out of people. Now, this list of men, man, pardon me again. I'm about to go there again. This group of men, these, these men that are listed in verse 13, were nothing like pastors that you know today. They didn't live in $3 million houses. They didn't have perfect teeth, right? They weren't on TV shows and they didn't sign autographs. That's not how these men were, the founders of our faith, right? Not like that. These guys went from town to town living on the benevolence of other people to help them, right? They were poor. They had to... They, they had to go into towns and they were persecuted and they would get beat up and they would get their teeth knocked out. Every single one of these men in this list that I just read you were violently murdered for their faith except for John. And John wasn't violently murdered. He was just boiled alive and thrown on an island by himself. The rest of them though, Bartholomew for instance, was hacked to death, hacked with a knife to death. These men were all violently murdered, nothing like the celebrity pastors that we create today. But these ordinary men became extraordinary because the Holy Spirit was in them. That's how they became extraordinary. Now, here's the thing. In our day and age, let's talk about our day and age. It is biblical to honor authority. If you meet another pastor, not me, that's not why I'm saying this, but if you meet another pastor, you're out of town and you find out a, a man or a woman leads a church or does ministry, you should respect them. You should show them a certain kind of respect. But we need to be very careful with everyone that we meet, no matter how good of things they do, we need to know that ultimately the credit goes to God. Every good and perfect thing that comes from us is not from us, it's from God. It's because he allowed us to do those things. So we have to keep that in check. So how did these men become extraordinary? They became extraordinary because of the Holy Spirit, but we do have to give them some credit for this. This is where they made a really good decision. They devoted themselves to prayer and they devoted themselves to having a relationship with Jesus. And because of that, God honored them and filled them with his Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. This is very important. They not only prayed, they prayed together and they prayed often. And they had both genders. It mentions that all the women were there, right? There's lots and lots of women there. There's all kinds of different people who met up in this upper room and they prayed together and they fasted together and they were in unison together and they agreed together. And it was very, very powerful as we'll see in chapter two. But what happens is this, their prayer and their perseverance is setting a stage for something amazing to happen. Because the disciples were obedient to Jesus, they were patient and they were persistent in prayer, God delivered on his promise to send his spirit. And here's the thing, they didn't even know what was gonna happen. Though they trusted him, they had no idea how God was gonna show up, how dramatically their lives were gonna change, how dramatically the world was going to change through them. Here's the thing, guys. Sometimes God will show us steps one, two, three, and we have to take those three steps before he'll show us four, five, six. Sometimes we just have to believe that God's got our best interest in mind, right? And we have to walk out on faith. And so when God said, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, they didn't know what that meant. They had no idea how that was going to look or how that was gonna shape up. Now, here's a very important slide. Every single one of us in this room, me included, all of us, have trust issues with God at one time or another. All of us, right? And all of us in our lives, and if you haven't yet, give it time, you will, we will start to rationalize our plans versus his plans. Well, this is what I wanna do, right? I've got this idea, this is what I wanna do. Here's what we tend to do, guys. 
We come up with what we want to do for our lives. We come up with our plan and we treat Jesus kind of like a county clerk, right? We come up with the idea and we just want him to go like put a stamp of approval on it and say, it's okay. That's what we do. If we're just being honest, hey, I want to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to pray about it. Now, if you go into the Bible, if you go back into the Old Testament, once upon a time, there was a civil war in Israel. We're not the first ones to do this. The north and south of Israel were against each other. And these two different, two different kingdoms were against each other, but they had a mutual enemy to the east. Now, the, the, the king of the south contacted the king of the north on his you know, Nokia phone. He called the king of the north, and he said, hey, we have this mutual enemy. Let's sign a treaty. Let's get our forces together. Let's gather them up, and let's go march against them. So that's what they did. They signed a treaty. They got all their forces together. They get there. They're going to march against a much smaller army, right? It was a shoe-in. They had a great idea. But right as they're about to march out to battle, the king of the south goes, wait a second, we should pray about it too. And so they pray, God, we're doing this. We want you with us. Then they marched out to battle and what happened? They got their butts handed to them and they lost this battle and they ran back and they're like, what did we do wrong? What they did wrong is they followed their plan and just wanted God to put a stamp on it. And we're supposed to follow his plan why? Because his plan for our life is much better than any plan you can come up with. All throughout this church, I know people who've given up all kinds of crazy dreams that they wanted. They gave them up in faith in exchange for God's dreams, and God gave them their spouse, God gave them children, God gave them all these things that were much better than they could have ever got with their pathway. We just need to learn to trust God a little bit more, and he will shock us with what he will do with us, okay? Last part, kind of a lengthy part, so be patient with me here. Some neat stuff in this too, though. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the number of who were together was about 120, and he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst and burst open in the middle and all of his insides spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the time of the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in the apostolic service that Judas has left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay. This is pretty important, and it's easy to miss if you're not careful. Let me see if I can paint this picture. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, okay, there was 500 people who watched Jesus ascend into heaven into a cloud. 
It wasn't just the 11 remaining disciples, 500 people, okay? And so as they sat there, let me paint this picture. Not only did they see the resurrected Jesus, they saw the resurrected Jesus go into the heavens via a cloud. 500 people. In just 10 short days, a week and a half, from the time they saw Jesus go into heaven with their own eyes, only 120 of them showed up for the prayer meeting. What we see is this. There's a very disturbing fact statistic about Christianity that we find right here in this, that it's roughly about 24% of the people that do the work and hold up the other 75%. Oftentimes, it is a small percentage. If you were here last week at the vision service, which a lot of you weren't, last week at the vision service, I showed the numbers up there of how many people serve at our church, and it's roughly about 29%. So these stats haven't changed a whole lot. We're a little bit better than 24% but we're still under one third that actually serve and advance the kingdom within this church. And so we see something kind of disturbing there. And so Peter also noticed this, right? We went from 500 seeing Jesus ascend into heaven to where just in 10 days people got bored and they forgot that they just saw Jesus ascend into heaven. So he sees that there's a problem here. So So Peter steps up to the plate. Peter steps up to the plate, A, because God directed him to him, B, this is a man that saw God's grace firsthand. This is a man that denied Jesus three times, and after Jesus resurrected, they hung out on a beach, they ate some breakfast together, and Jesus restored Peter. After his restoration, he starts to take charge of the group, and Peter suggests that because Judas had fallen off, right, And because Psalms, King David had prophesied that this was going to happen, he suggested that they replace Judas, that they find another disciple. And Luke tells a very graphic story, right? So Judas hung himself. Apparently the rope eventually broke that he hung himself with. He fell to the ground and it says his insides burst open. And Luke records this. Very, very graphic. And everyone in this region would have known that. So here's the thing. It is important for the church to talk about the successes It's very important. And people bash on the church a lot nowadays. But let me tell you, without the church, without Christianity, we wouldn't have universities. We wouldn't have orphanages. We wouldn't have hospitals. Christianity has done much for the world. More than any other religion ever has, Christianity has produced some of the most important things in society. And we need to talk about that. That's a good thing. And though it's good to talk about the church's successes, we also need to sometimes remember our church's failures and that sometimes people fall away. We're not to be crippled by the mistakes of the church or our individual mistakes, but we are to learn from those. We're not to ignore those mistakes because God will use our mistakes for his glory if we are just humble and if we are repentant about it. If we will be humble about our mistakes, Roman 8 says that all things work out for the good of those that love them, even the bad things, if we will be humble and we will ask God to forgive us. So this may be the second most important slide I show you today, maybe the most important. When we make mistakes, and all of you in this room will, when we make mistakes, we have two different directions by which we can travel. The first choice we have when we make a mistake is what I call the Judas route. Here's what Judas did. Judas betrayed Jesus one time. He denied Jesus one time, right? And he was overwhelmed with his guilt, and his shame and his depression, and because he didn't ask for God's forgiveness, he made more bad choices, one of them being a permanent choice of suicide. That was the Judas route. 
And what we tend to do, if we don't run back to God when we make a mistake, if we don't make some changes in our lives to not make that mistake again, we go down the Judas road, a very dangerous, destructive road. That's choice one. Choice two is what I call the Peter route. Here's what's interesting. Judas denied Jesus one time. Peter denied him three times. But instead of getting drowned in the guilt and the shame and the sin, he went back to Jesus. He repented for what he did. He made some changes in his life to avoid future mistakes. And what happened to Peter? He became the founder of the Christian movement. He became the leader of the first century church. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom. He became one of the most powerful men that's ever lived because of God through him. And look in our lives, these are the choices we have. Are we going to do it the Judas way? Or are we going to do it the Peter way? They both made mistakes. They were both guilty. One ran back to Jesus and one ran away from Jesus. So we must also move forward. Here's what Peter does. Instead of constantly dwelling on the fall of Judas, now that was tragic, guys. I love what, what, what Luke says, the way he phrases it, that Judas left us to go to his own place. That was a place separated from God. And so he went that way, and that's tragic, that's awful. But what Peter did is he said, you know, we could focus on the one we lost all day long, but here's what we need to do. We need to make more disciples. We need to keep going out. And so they boiled it down to two great candidates, and they cast lots after they prayed about it and they talked about it. They cast lots, and it came up with a guy named Matthias. Now, here's essentially what they did. They would take these stones, almost like us rolling dice, right? And they prayed about it, and they said, God, we can't make a decision. They rolled these dice, and they said, all right, it landed on Matthias. You're our guy, right? So after that, Matthias, you know, people are like, how'd you become a disciple? He's like, man, they just rolled some dice, right? Rolled some rocks, and here I am. No, but they prayed about it, and they trusted God to choose, and it was Matthias, okay? So here's how we launch out of Acts. Here's where we start. Because Jesus ascended back into heaven after his death, burial, resurrection, he ascended back into heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit, all of us in this room who claim to be Christians can now be conduits, vessels, instruments to demonstrate the power and love of God in our community and across the entire earth. We are essentially Jesus on earth right now. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us because of the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. We are now filled with the Holy Spirit of God if we live a life devoted to God. That's where we're at. That's where we launch off in Acts. Now, if we're going to be Jesus on earth, so important, it's so basic, but it's so important. The first thing is, is we must be obedient to the Word of God. The only way to be obedient to the Word of God is we must read the Word of God. We must also pray. We pray for ourselves, we pray for our families, we pray for our communities, we pray for those who are lost, we pray that God leads us and guides us, and then we must be patient for the Lord to empower us and to show us what to do. We're obedient to the Word of God, we pray to God, and we're patient as God shows us what to do in our lives. We must also watch and look for opportunities to share the gospel and to share the love of Christ. This doesn't mean that you walk into Starbucks and you're like, hey, who's not a Christian? Come here a second. That just doesn't work, right? You guys remember Chick Tracks? <laughs> I remember going to the bathroom before I was a Christian and like you're urinating and they got these little like comic books, right? And it's like, 
do you know God? You know, it's got like this devil on fire and you flip through it. And, because everyone gives their heart to Jesus Christ while you're urinating in the men's bathroom, right? That's where, that's where Christians are made. And so we've had this idea that we're just supposed to like walk into places and hold up our Bible and say, hey, everyone's going to hell. Do you want to like change that, right? That just doesn't really work in our day and age. I don't know if it ever worked. And so what we are to do is we're to build relationships with people and go into places and, and, and cultivate the, these kind of friendships and develop these relationships with people and look for opportunities to minister. I'll give you an example, back to Starbucks, right? The Starbucks that I go to, I practically know everyone that works there and I think some of them know what I do and some of them don't know what I do and there's believers and non-believers there, but I don't walk in and like with a shirt that says, you know, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you should ask me about him. You know, but I don't do that, that's not my style. But I just go in there and I'm friendly to these people. And one day, a, a young woman, she's already left, so I, I'm not embarrassing her, she's moved. But she was in line one day, or uh, making my drink while I was in line. And I said, hey, how's your day going? And she's working and she looks up and she just goes, do you have a couple of minutes? And I was like, absolutely. I was actually in a hurry, but I was like, no, absolutely I do, yeah. So she clocks out, takes her 15 minute break, comes, we sit down in the chairs, and she, the first thing she says, she goes, Corey, I know what you do for a living, I'm not a Christian. I was like, okay. And she just spilled it, her whole life, right? All that's going on with her family and her boyfriend and all this stuff and just all, spilling all this stuff. And I just listen and listen, right? And towards the end of the 15 minutes, she goes, hey, again, I'm not a Christian, but would you just pray for me? I was like, absolutely. So I laid my hands on her right there in the middle of Starbucks and we just said a prayer and she went on her thing. Now look, I don't know what happened with her. I don't know if she gave her life to Christ. I don't know if any of the things changed, but there was a door that God put right there in that moment. And I had the decision to either say, I'm busy, or put a pause on my day, walk through the door and have this interaction with this young woman. All of us, will be given opportunities like that. The problem is, are we looking for them? Are we looking for these opportunities? If we're gonna find these opportunities, we have to prepare ourselves. Not just for these opportunities, guys, and I'm not like one of these crazy Revelation people, love the book of Revelation, believe in the book of Revelation, but we need to prepare ourselves because one day Christ is coming back. Luke just wrote it, right? One day he is coming back. So not only do we need to be prepared for that, like a bride waiting for the groom, the Bible says, that we need to educate other people on what it means to be prepared, that we need to love other people, that we need to hold each other accountable. Men in this room or women in this room, it's become about equal uh, on, this, on this issue. If you're struggling with pornography or sex addiction or issues like that, find someone to hold you accountable that you trust, right? I don't recommend you like tell everyone these issues, but find someone that you trust and have some kind of accountability software have something, some kind of mechanism to where you guys can hold each other up and talk about these things and make sure, right? Because we need to be held accountable. We need to want to be held accountable. Here's where I'm struggling though. And I'm just, just letting you know where I am in my life. I am struggling because I'm learning that I personally can't save people's souls. I can't do it. I want to, I'm a fixer. I don't know if any other people in this room are fixers, right? You know, like, like you, you just want to like fix everything and, and your wife's like, I just want you to listen for a second. And I'm like, but let's fix it, right? You know, like that, that's me. I'm a fixer. I always want to fix things. And my problem is this. God didn't tell me to fix things. God didn't tell me to go save souls. Here's what Jesus tells us to do. All throughout the gospels, there are these agricultural references because God made agriculture, right? So there's all these agricultural references 
And, and Paul kind of echoes that in one of his epistles, and he talks about what we are called to do from God is you and I are called because the Holy Spirit is in us, he's equipped us, he's empowered us, that we are to go out and we are called to cultivate soil. We're called to build relationships. We're called to love people regardless of what they believe, regardless of the lifestyle they live, we are called to genuinely love people. We're called to build relationships, we're called to love people regardless, and we're also called to pray for them. Let me ask you, when is the last time you made a list of people around you that don't know the Lord and you just prayed for them? God, please touch this person's heart. Please give me the wisdom to speak to them, Lord. Please give me the opportunity to share my testimony. Please, God, like just, just create some kind of path to where you can be a light in their life. When is the last time we just prayed for people who didn't know Jesus? And then we do our best to teach them. Guys, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk. The only way to teach people the Word of God is you have to read the Word of God. You have to pick it up and you have to read it. Do you know the Bible actually says that we should be prepared to give an answer? People are going to ask us questions. And if they ask you why you're a Christian, you just, oh, I don't know, my parents were. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We must be prepared to give an answer for people's questions. So we're called to cultivate relationships we're called to plant the seed, right? We're called to water the seed by loving people, by praying for them, for doing our best to educate them. But ultimately, here's what I'm struggling with. We cannot make that seed, that seed grow. There's nothing I can do to make this thing spring up. I can make sure the ground is fertile. I can water it, but I can't make it do anything. And in our day and age, guys, I don't know if you feel it too, it is becoming increasingly difficult for us to share the gospel and not receive adversity because of that. Increasingly difficult. And guys, I hate to break it to you, it's not gonna get easy, any, any easier. It's gonna become more and more difficult for the gospel to be spread. So if we can't build relationships now, if we can't talk to people now, if we can't get over our uncomfortableness with people now, right? If we only hang out with people who have our same ideologies and same beliefs and same faith, if we can't get out of our comfort zone now, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. We have got to start cultivating the soil around us right now. And it starts in your home and it starts with your kids and it starts with your wife or your husband and it moves on to your work or your school it moves on to the gym you work out, out of the coffee shop you go to, or whatever the case may be. We have got to fall in love with people again. Because the mechanism, the catalyst, the vessel that God himself has chosen to be a positive influence on the world is you and I. It is us. And is it disheartening to see people turn away from the faith? Yes. Is it disheartening to tell people the love or show people the love of God and to see them not respond? Yes, but that doesn't mean we quit. It doesn't mean we stop. I've employed people at this church who've left their relationship with God and they live lives completely contrary to what they know is right. But I cannot let that stop me. I cannot let that stop me moving forward. Do you know why the Bible says don't grow weary in doing good? Because God knows it's easy to grow weary when doing good. But we must keep moving forward. Why? Because the local church is the hope of the community. 
Because God has commissioned you and I to be the salt and the light. Us. We can't look to someone else for it. God has called you. God has called me to go out and to build bridges with people in the hopes we can't control their response and we can't, we can't control God's response, but we build bridges in the hope that God and the lost will be connected. That's what we do. If you are in this room and you are not a believer or the church has hurt you, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry if the church has offended you in some way. I'm sorry if this church has offended you in some way. And though we are flawed and though we are imperfect, this book is good. The God that inspired this book and, and breathed this book through the different authors, he is perfect and he is good. And so if I can challenge you in this room, if you're not a believer, don't just go on my words or my actions. Break open this book and see. See what the good news is and see if it's not something worth investing in and looking into. If you are in this room and you are a Christian, listen to me, and I don't mean to be rude. It would be so foolish of you to leave this room right now without asking God to forgive you of whatever's in your heart. We should live a life of repentance where we're constantly asking God to examine us, to point out to us anything dark in us so we can confess that and ask for his forgiveness. We should always be doing that. You would be foolish to leave this room without a completely clean slate. If you want, here, here's the rude part. I know you got things to do. I know you got places to go and people to see, and I know everyone's busy. But every single weekend we take communion with each other. And I know sometimes you got to wait in the line. I know sometimes it's a little bit of extra time and you could be doing something else on your day off. But man, that juice and that bread represents the fact that the God of the universe gave his only son to die on a cross for us. Not just that, that he resurrected and ascended into heaven. And because of what this communion represents, we now have the spirit of God in us if we're devoted to him. And I know you got things to do, but to just say, ah, it's just communion. It's not. It's a big deal. And Jesus said, do it every time you gather together in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. Take a couple of extra minutes today, guys. Ask God to examine your heart and forgive you. Take the communion with your, your family or your spouse or by yourself or with some friends around you. Take that seriously today and see if God doesn't bless you for that. I love you guys. I love you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to going down this journey of Acts with you. And um, we'll see where God takes us. I think it's going to be good, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you, we praise you. God, I pray that you bless all my friends in here, God, my, my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, God, that if there's any non-believers in here, Lord, that, that they just felt welcome today and comfortable, God, and inviting today, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we can examine our hearts and ask you to forgive us of whatever sin we may have. I pray, God, that if anyone needs prayer, that they'll come up with the, the different people who are on the prayer team, God, and Lord, just let them pray uh, for them, God, and Lord, let other people just, just hold up their needs and encourage them, God. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, I pray that we go into our coffee shops, into our jobs, into our schools. I pray, God, that we go into the places we grocery shop and whatever the case may be, and that we start to build relationships 
And then we start to love people and look at them the way you look at them. Even if they disagree with us, even if they're rude to us, God, you said even if they hate us, that we can somehow look for an opportunity to show them your love and present to them your truth. Father, we thank you, Lord. You're gracious and you're good. And we look forward to just diving further into the book of Acts, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself to communion. Thank you, guys.